when there is no king, you will try to become one. It was a couple of weeks ago that my kid, who you saw in this video, Emma, texted me while she was in class at UTSA. She said, uh, pray for us because our teacher's having to talk louder to overcome the noise that's outside the classroom. There was a protest happening. And some of the, the, the yells were, uh, if you don't believe in God, join us because we don't either. Over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of marches and protests on the campus of UTSA. Uh, it reminded me of 10 years ago when the secular club had a campaign called Smut for Smut. They invited people to come and exchange their Bibles and they would give pornography. It reminds me of the days in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, where it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was 400 years of silence since the last prophet of God in the Old Testament began to speak. 400 years of darkness before Jesus was born. But when Jesus was born, he was laser focused on his mission to seek and save the lost. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. How many of you agree that light is stronger than darkness? And then he tells his followers, you are the light of the world. Don't keep your light hidden under a shade. You're a city on the hill. So raise your hand if you are a follower of Jesus today. Jesus is looking at each of you going, hey, you are to be a light in a dark world. I am grateful that we have over 100 Chi Alpha small group leaders that have the burden of the Lord, that understand their mission is to seek and to save and build friendships with people who are far from the Lord, walking in spiritual darkness and bring them to light. Last night, there were about 500 students that were in this room on their knees before the Lord. I got to come and witness about 50 people baptized in water, y'all. How many of you guys were here this weekend? Chi Alpha. Praise God. We thank you. We honor you for being a light in the darkness. It gives us hope, right? We do this for faith in Jesus. We do this by faith that God would be glorified. It's seeing. Faith is seeing what God wants to see. It's it's glorifying the Lord. So turn with me in your Bibles. How many of you have your Bibles with you today? Yes. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Are you excited to begin our new journey? You were here last week. We started our our new journey through the book of Romans. Some of you are excited about this because, quite honestly, you have resisted reading and trying to study Romans. Maybe because it's the longest of Paul's letters. Or maybe it's just hard to understand. Have you ever felt like that? Like this is just so much theology and the writing and the style. Well, maybe it would be helpful for you to understand who Paul was writing to. He was writing to the church in Rome. Rome was the epicenter. It was the very center of the ancient world. There was a lot of darkness there, a lot of uh, moral corruption and sexual perversion. They worshipped many different gods. And they allowed you to worship Jesus as long as you worshipped Caesar as well. So there was many gods, a lot of idols there in Rome. But Paul knew for from strategic uh, decisions of politics and religion, like in art, like this is the place I've got to start a church. And now he's writing this church because it was started after the day of Pentecost when Jewish Christians were sent as missionaries. Kind of like we started a church in Gonzales. 
they started a church in Rome. But there was a lot of persecution there. And so they exiled the Jews back to Israel. And so these new Roman Christians were trying to figure out everything on their own. But they were intimidated. And the cultures of Rome were affecting this church. So there was compromise. And the burden was so great that these Jewish Christians found a way to return back to this church. And so this church family is made up of both these young Roman believers and these Jewish Christians, Jews who became Christians. And together they were trying to figure it out. And they all had these different backgrounds, traditions and beliefs. And, and there was conflict and there was fighting because the Jews, they believed, they, they, there were generational beliefs that if you obeyed the law and over 600 Hebrew traditions, then you would earn salvation or earn your place into heaven. And so they were applying some of these rituals and traditions of being circumcised and doing this law. And they were trying to, it just created a lot of tension. And Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter, has so many transcultural truths that were applicable to them then, but are also the word of God is alive for us today. Now, how many of you believe that? So we're going to start in verse 9 of Romans 3. Paul says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of the peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. When there is no king, you'll try to be one. You'll try to be right in your own eyes. The problem is sin. The problem is pride. It's a lack of lordship. And so Paul is burdened. He's saying these who have hardened their hearts, that God has given away to a, a reprobate mind. He's like, you think you're so much better than them. And as a church, you're pointing your, your fingers and you're comparing yourself. But really, you're trying to work your way into heaven through good works. And it's not working. You're not any better than them. And that's the problem, isn't it? A lot of times people in the church, we have a perceived problem of being angry and judgmental and we like to throw stones or point fingers. Meanwhile, we keep secret sins in the closet of greed, gluttony, and gossip. And Paul is saying there's no humility. There's only fighting and tension and it's because you don't truly understand the gospel. You don't truly understand who Jesus is. So in verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So he's talking to these Jewish Christians in this church because, again, they believe that by obeying the law that they will earn a place in heaven. And by the way, did you know that 88% of the people in our country believe that if you are a good person or do good works to other people, that you'll be in heaven. That's all it'll take. That's not the truth. And they believe that, and Paul's addressing it. 
He's saying the, the law isn't just to be obeyed. It's not just works of the flesh. He's saying the purpose of the law is to show you what sin is, to make you convicted of sin. The law says thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, right? Jesus even came and he said it's not just the law or the commandment to commit adultery. If you've, if you've lusted with your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've missed the mark, you've sinned, you've broken the heart of the Lord. Saying it's not just those who commit adultery or those who commit murder sin, but those who have harbored unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. You've got hate in your heart towards someone, you've missed the mark. You've, you've, you've sinned and you've, you deserve consequence to that sin. He's trying to get them to understand what the gospel is and who Jesus is. It was my first semester, my junior year of college, that uh, my sister came up to me. We were going to the same Bible university south of Dallas. And she said, I want to introduce you to someone. You need to know somebody. And I said, well, who? And we walked from the parking lot to the cafeteria. She goes, I want to introduce you to your future wife. And I was like half skeptical, you know. I, 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 was, I was happy to be single at that time in my life. And uh, I had been in a long relationship and broken up. And so I was like, it had been a few months. And I was, I was okay with where I was at. I was completely content. Um, but we walked to a table and... My sister said, this is a friend of mine. Uh, we're in the same dorm, and I want to introduce you. She said, John, this is my friend, Stephanie. And Stephanie stood to her feet, and I saw her big smile and those big brown eyes and her beautiful hair. And not just her outer beauty, I learned to see that she, her inner beauty was incredible as well. To this day, how many of you know that I am very grateful that my sister revealed Stephanie to me. Like she changed my life. I was not complete without her. Besides Jesus, she's the closest person to me. And Paul, I want you to imagine like this, this, this kind of dissatisfaction. He's like this church at Rome just doesn't get it. They don't know. They're trying to do all of these things on their own. And so it's like he sees them with this veil before their eyes. And if he could just penetrate this veil that this truth would set them free. So he says in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is what? It's revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's telling them, he's confronting them with the brutal facts. He's saying, those of you who think you've been at church for a long time and you've observed the law that you think you're better, the reality is it's not going to save you. It's only through the righteousness of God, through being revealed through Jesus Christ. And everybody else, all of us, including you and me, we've been like sheep who have gone, who've wandered astray. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's the reality. He says in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Now don't check out on me because those are some big words, right? <laughs> propitiation, that's a 
That's a mouthful. That's a $5 word. It's an important word. It simply means atonement. It means that the wrath of God must be satisfied. We've all come short of the glory of God. And God takes sin seriously. There is a consequence to sin. Are you grateful that God is a loving God? But he's also a God who is just. And the wrath of God, the anger of God because of sin, it broke his heart. It must be dealt with. And so he chooses to deal with this sin by sending his son Jesus for his love for the world, his compassion for the world, to die on the cross for your sin, for my sin, for these Hebrew Christians and the Romans. And the wrath of God was satisfied. God did his part. And it was by the blood of his son Jesus that the wrath of God was atoned for. Jesus was our substitute on the cross. So when Paul says it's the, when God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, he's, he's, Paul is explaining the gospel and it happens not by works, but through what? Through faith, by putting your entire trust and your belief in something you may not be able to see with your eyes, but there's this, it's a supernatural hope and belief in things that you cannot see to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the gospel, that it's not by our works. And some people, some of you might realize this, that you can't be saved by your works, but by your lifestyle, you have given in to the temptation to believe that if you do enough good works, that you're somehow still earning the favor of God, the favor of a small group leader, your motives aren't pure, there's a striving, there's a working in the flesh. And it doesn't please the Lord because your motives aren't pure or you're not serving in the supernatural grace and strength of God. The lie of the enemy is that you can earn, that you can work for salvation or a place in heaven or for favor, and it doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God is being poor in spirit. It's a reliance on the Lord. It's a dependence. It's a walking in humility, walking in the spirit, and ministering and serving in the grace and love of God in and through our lives. And so we respond to the gospel acknowledging that there is a place, there is a throne on each of our hearts, and it's reserved for one. And that's for Jesus. He won't share his throne. And our response is to bow. It's to walk into humility. It's to be dependent upon him, to abide with him, to dwell with him. And when we do that, it's his spirit at work in and through us to do good works, supernatural works. So our works are not done to earn, but rather they're done as the fruit of our repentance and out of the, the, the margin of spending time with the Lord, of walking in the Spirit. Paul writes to other churches as well on this same theme to the church. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, 
And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul, who used to be called Saul, he was one of the Pharisees. He was one of those Jewish believers that believed that he, through knowledge and through his works, he could earn his way, and he had a lot of self-righteousness and pride. But Jesus humbled him on that road to Damascus, and he was saved. So there's this weight of humility. It has been revealed to them. To the church in Ephesus, Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made, sit, uh, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he may sh might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, here it is again, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, we bow our heads in response to your word, to your presence, to what you did on the cross for each of us. You are Lord, whether we confess it or not whether we live like it or not. As we are in your presence, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict each of us of areas in our life that have not been yielded to your Lordship. May you convict us of sin. Thank you that your blood that was spilled would not be in vain. We deserve to be on that cross. We deserve the consequences to our sin. But thank you for loving us so much that you revealed who Jesus is. And we understand that it requires us to have faith. And over 2,000 years later, we believe that the power of the cross and the power of the gospel, the power of your blood is enough to forgive us and to save us. So by faith, would you confess and repent of your sin and turn to God in this moment? This is God's gift to you. He loves you. He's giving you this opportunity to have a clean conscience before God and others. He doesn't want anything to be in a close, keep you from close intimacy and fellowship with the Lord. So Father, we acknowledge Search our hearts. If there's anything that's impure, any motive, any secret sin, I pray that we would confess and we would take it seriously and that by faith we would repent and turn to you. 
heads still bowed and eyes closed if you're here today and acknowledge that you are not right with God, that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, that you were walking in darkness, that you were spiritually lost. The reality is that all of us at one point have come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And there's nothing that you could do on your own to save yourself. And there's also a lie out there but that the enemy would try to say that you're too far gone. He would try to shame you and bring condemnation that would lead to death. Silence those voices. The hope and the good news is that Jesus did the work on the cross. He did his part. And your part is to confess him as the son of the living God. Confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Confess and repent of your sin and turn to God. And so I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus, to walk after him, to commit your life to him. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so I want to give you the invitation. You're not here by luck or accident. The Holy Spirit has drawn you here for this important purpose. Don't let pride keep you from making the greatest decision of your life. And that is surrendering your life to Jesus. So I want to count to three and then pray with you as you make this commitment to follow Jesus. One, two, three. Would you raise your hand in this room? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? We cheer because we're welcoming you to the family of God. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Someone in the back here. Small group leaders, will you go to those who have raised their hand? And let's bow our heads. Would you pray after me as you make this commitment to the Lord? Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I am so sorry that I've broken your heart. Please forgive me. I turn to you. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Make me righteous in you. I believe and confess that Jesus, you are the son of the living God. You rose from the dead and you are alive. Be my Savior and my Lord. I surrender my life to you. I commit to walking after you all the days of my life. Would you just pray for our friends right now? We thank you, Lord, for the miracle of salvation, for setting them free of strongholds. Cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Cleanse their mind and their heart. Give them a hunger for your word, for Christian fellowship, to follow you and obey you, not in their own works or strength, but by your supernatural spirit and grace. In Jesus' name, we glorify you. One more time, can we welcome these friends to the family of God?